Good morning. There's a lot of bad news in the world right now. I don't need to remind you of that. At least speaking for the church, it's now clear that we won't be together at least through the month of April. So with all this bad news, it's a great time to talk about some good news. In fact, the best news that there is. This morning we're going to talk about the good news that cannot be stopped. And no amount of social distancing can hold it back. No virus can slow it down. It is unstoppable. This is good news that we can share. It's good news that we are meant to share. It is unstoppable good news. Today we're continuing our study through the book of Philippians. We're talking about Paul. He is in prison in the city of Rome, and he's writing to a church in the city of Philippi, that's in modern-day Greece. It was a church he started, and even though while he is in prison, he's still writing this letter, he's reminding the church that they can rejoice and they can grow even when they're separated. And they can do these things, rejoice and grow, through their faith in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is Paul's joy, and he is their joy. And one way we can rejoice is as we share the good news of Jesus with others. We can rejoice as we hear about others who are sharing the good news. And sharing the gospel is one way that we grow to be more like Jesus. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our passage. Uh, Today we're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to be reading it from the English Standard Version. This is what Paul writes. He says, I want you to know, brothers, or brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time we have to look at your word. Thank you for this truth, reminding us of the good news that is unstoppable, of a courage that inspires us to share that good news with others and to rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Even in this difficult time, that is true. Christ is being proclaimed. May we rejoice in that, share it with others. Thank you, God, for giving us hope and giving us joy through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. In this letter, Paul is giving an update about his condition. And the first 
way he does that is he reminds the Philippians of the unstoppable good news. The unstoppable good news. Paul is in prison and he realizes the Philippians are saddened by that. They're probably upset that he's there. But he encourages them by reminding them that the gospel is being proclaimed. It says, I want you to know, brothers or brothers and sisters, it's a word that could be used for both, kind of how we use the word mankind to talk about all of humanity. So brothers, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really, has actually, as surprising as it may seem, really served to advance the gospel. The good news of Jesus was being advanced. It was progressing. It was going on in spite of obstacles. More people were hearing about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus, even though Paul was in prison. He's reminding them of their need to push the gospel forward. It is always supposed to be advancing. Reminding them, we don't need to dwell on the past. We don't even need to dwell on our present problems. The gospel is to move forward. And even though Paul is quarantined in his house, he's chained to a guard, he still sought to advance the gospel. It's a good challenge to us. How are we seeking to expand God's kingdom? How did this happen? Well, we read about that in verse 13. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. All of the imperial palace guards had heard the gospel. And he says all the rest. Others in the city of Rome were hearing about it too. These guards he's talking about were a division of the empire's best troops. They ran most of the civilized world. Yet this crack division, some of their members are being chained to Paul. We read about this at the end of the book of Acts. The last two verses of that book tell us about Paul, that he lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense. Prisoners had to pay their own expenses, and he welcomed all who came to him. And look at some of these words. They're similar to what's in our passage. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Even though he was chained, he was sharing with others. And the implication we get is he must have been sharing with his guards. At the very least, when they were chained to him, they heard him sharing with his other guests. He used his imprisonment, the fact that he was in prison, to start conversations about Jesus. This is probably exaggeration, but I almost get the picture of every time there was a shift change and a new guard came in and was chained to Paul, I, I get the image of Paul saying, Hi, my name is Paul. Do you know why I'm in prison? Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm sure it wasn't quite that quick, but he was passionate about sharing with others. He knew that his chains alone didn't tell a story. These guards had been chained to other men before, and that was unremarkable. Someone must speak truth. His imprisonment had a unique story behind it. There's a famous quote that's been attributed to a man named St. Francis, And it goes something like this. It says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. But the truth is, St. Francis never said that. And the truth is also that it is necessary. If we're preaching the gospel, we do need to use words. 
Our life, now, our life must reflect Christ. If we're living in a hypocritical way, if our life is not reflecting the gospel, then our words will fall on deaf ears. Our lifestyle needs to be consistent with God's word. But still, a lifestyle alone doesn't convict someone of truth. Paul knew that he had to speak. He wasn't forcing something on them. I'm sure he was very careful in his conversation and was seeking to present hope and really listen to the guards and their stories as well. But he still strove to use words to communicate the gospel. He saw a purpose in his imprisonment. In another book, the book of Ephesians, he says this, For this reason, I, Paul, and he describes himself, a prisoner of the Romans, uh, a prisoner of the authorities, a prisoner of those in power on earth. No, he says a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. The reason Paul was in prison was because he was sharing his faith. But he also realized the reason he was in prison was to share his faith there. He had been arrested years before in Jerusalem. He'd been arrested. He spent a few years in prison there in Israel. And then finally he arrived at Rome where he spent at least another two years in prison. There were shipwrecks and suffering along the way. If you want to read about it, look in the book of Acts chapters 21 through 28. One scholar, J.A. Motyer, he describes it this way, that there was deceit, malpractice, vilification that surrounded Paul. They were past belief. Yet, here in Philippians, Paul looks back on all the wrong that was done to him, and he asserts, what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul saw God's hand and God's purpose, even in those trying circumstances, even when life didn't go the way he wanted the way he planned, the way he understood life was supposed to work, even then he saw God was working and advancing the gospel. What was happening to him was something Jesus predicted. In the gospel of Luke, Jesus says this, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And then he could have said, this will be a hard time. This will be a time of suffering. But no, what Jesus says is, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. That's what Paul realized was happening here. This was his opportunity to bear witness. He saw it as his duty. God's purpose had not been thwarted. It was going to be advanced through Paul. Paul spent years in prison in this time of his life. Years and years. And during that time, he couldn't preach in public. He couldn't go and be with his churches. He couldn't do anything that he used to do. His old way of doing ministry, the old way of doing church, was gone for him. Yet, he still saw God's purpose. He worked hard at sharing in all of his circumstances. If the only people he interacted with every day were his guards, then he was going to share with his prison guards. And by seeking to share in the circumstance he was in, he saw the gospel advance. Why did it advance? Why did the good news spread even in this situation? Because the gospel cannot be stopped. Paul's suffering provided an avenue for the gospel to be shared. 
In 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9, another time he's in prison, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. God's word, his truth cannot be restrained. Almost every church building in America, if not in the entire world, is closed right now. But the gospel is still being proclaimed. If you watched last week, we talked about verse 7. In verse 7, Paul says this, It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are partakers of, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and what else do the Philippians share in? In the defense and confirmation of the gospel, the confirmation of the gospel. As the gospel spreads and spreads, it confirms it, it validates, it proves the truth of what God has said. He said people would come to know him and people are coming to know him. Why? Because God is in control. Again, J.A. Motyer puts it this way, God rules. The pressures of life are in the hands of the potter who is also our father. The fires of life are those of the refiner. He does not abandon the perfecting process to others, nor is he ever in his sovereign goodness and greatness knocked off course by the malpractice of evil men or by the weakness of of good men. God accomplishes his purposes always. The book of Numbers in the Old Testament puts it this way. It says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God fulfills his purposes. And the result of this good news is that's advancing is that the church in Rome is experiencing contagious courage. The courage Paul is showing is contagious. It's catching on. More people are sharing about Christ. It's really interesting in this passage, Paul doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the details of his imprisonment. It'd be really interesting to read about what was his daily life like? When did the guards change? When did he have his meals? What were his chains like? Were they tight? Were they loose? How was he sleeping? He doesn't talk about any of that, though. His focus is on the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He's not consumed with his own needs. He is consumed with knowing and sharing Christ. I really liked what that scholar J.A. Montier has been writing about this passage. Here, he says that Paul makes us look at the bonds the chains, not at the wrist, which they chafed and bruised. And then he only makes us look at the bonds only so that we may better appraise, better understand the impact that Paul's chains made upon the world and the church. See that Paul, when he's writing, he's not talking about how his wrist hurt, all his suffering, being in prison. He talks about, I'm in prison and this is what Christ is doing now. His focus was on Jesus Christ. 
I know it's very easy to get distracted by our own interest, especially in a time like this. What's going on? What's going to happen next? What's going to change next? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? What's going to happen? How am I going to take care of myself? How am I going to take care of my family? But here, Paul is challenging us. Will we be anxious and complain about where we are? Or will we seek to share Christ? Will we seek to proclaim Him? Madhyar said this, Never again. Will we have the chance to live for Him through this moment? To please Him in this circumstance? To gladden Him by trusting in this ordeal? This is the only moment, the only chance we have to be in this trial, this situation right now. Perhaps there'll be another lockdown someday of some other virus. I hope not, but maybe there will be. But this is the only chance we have to live for Christ in this situation. Friends, I wish this situation was over. I really do. I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. I'm sure many of you are, and we don't know how long it's going. But if I'm not careful, I can wish away this season and spend it wishing, when will it end? When will it be over? That I can miss the opportunity to share about Christ and live for Him in this season, in this time. We have an opportunity to share now that we may never have again in our lifetimes. Almost, I don't really want to use the word literally, but almost literally the entire world is thinking and talking about the same thing at the same time. When has that ever happened in human history? Everyone on the planet is going through the same struggle at the same time. They have the same questions, the same fears. And we, we have the true answer. Not when will it end, not what's the cure, but we have the answer, how can you have hope at all times? And that answer is Jesus Christ. We have that truth. We have that answer. This is our time to share. The people Paul is writing to, they are becoming courageous. They're inspired by Paul's courage to share their faith as well. Verse 14 puts it this way, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, they are much more bold to share the word without fear. They were normal, everyday people living in Rome who were also Christians, and they looked and they saw, wait a minute, Paul is in prison And he's still sharing, so we can share too. They were more bold. They were more daring. They shared without fear. They could see clearly. It's not that Paul was in prison for breaking the law. It's not that he was in prison for doing a crime. He was in prison because he was sharing about Jesus. Yet that still motivated them to do the same thing. Their boldness, their fearlessness, it must have brought Paul joy. What's happening Well, one scholar, Roger Morling, put it this way, Paul's boldness was contagious. His boldness, his courage was contagious. It caught the Roman Christians and they were compelled to share with others. They weren't catching a virus. They caught Paul's passion for reaching people for Christ. The book of Acts gives an example of this. In Acts 4.31, a group of Christians are together and it says, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is that they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So look who's sharing. In in this verse we just read, it says they all were. In our passage, Paul says most of the brothers, meaning most of the brothers and sisters were sharing. The gospel was spreading in the city of Rome through the witness of the church. Not really Paul. Paul's in prison. The only person he has to talk to are his guards and people who come to see him. There's very few people he can talk to, but the church, they're out and about. They have more opportunities to share than he does. Paul will talk a little bit about this later in the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he tells them to do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, even though you live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, but among whom you shine as lights in the world. They shine as lights. They shine as stars. One light in the darkness can make a difference, but many lights altogether, that can make a huge change. Brothers and sisters, the truth is that people won't come to know Christ if it's just pastors, if it's just elders, if it's just leaders sharing during this time, then not a lot of people are going to come to know Jesus. But if all of us look for opportunities to share, if all of us think about who we're communicating with more now, if all of us seek that chance to tell people about the hope we have in Jesus Christ, well, then who knows what could happen. There's one more thing I want to point out in verse 14 is we note where does this confidence to share come from? He says most of the brothers having become confident in Paul, no, having become confident in the Lord. It wasn't Paul, really, or his courage that was inspiring them. It was Paul's faith. It was his Lord, his God, that motivated them to share. And what we share is the Word, the Word of God. Our message must come from His truth. That message we're sharing is who Christ is, the perfect Son of God who came to earth to live. He fulfilled God's law perfectly, but then He died. He paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be restored to a right relationship with God. Because of what He has done, if we repent, if we turn away from sin, and if we believe and trust wholly and completely in what Christ has done, then we can be restored to God. Our sin is separated from Him. We are far from God. But through Christ and what He has done, we can know Him. We can have a relationship with Him. That gives us hope in every day and hope for an eternity with God. This was the message that the Philippians and as well as the Romans and Paul that they were sharing as they went around. And other people were sharing it. People were preaching Christ, the only message that saves. The next couple of verses talk about this preaching. People were acting as a herald. They were transmitting faithfully and clearly what someone had given them. That's what preaching is. It's transmitting what someone else has said, but in a clear way that others understand. So what I'm doing now is I am preaching, I'm communicating to you what God has said in His Word in this setting for the church as a whole. But when you share the gospel with one other person or one or two others, you're in a sense preaching in that moment because you're delivering God's truth to others. 
There's not something unique or special in yourself that you have. You're sharing, this is what God has said, and this can make a difference in your life. This is what people were doing in Rome. Now, we did read, though, that there are some Christians who had the sound gospel. They were talking about truth, but they were at odds with Paul. They didn't like him. They maybe didn't like his poor speaking. Paul says he wasn't a good speaker. He was always suffering. He was always weak. And it seems that they were glad that Paul was in prison. They wanted to do great ministry while he was in prison, almost to spite him. They preached from envy, rivalry, strife, and jealousy. It's kind of like the tribal joy that we feel when our sports team does really well, or maybe a celebrity we like has success, and we say, yes, my person, my team is doing well. We can do this, though, in the ministry world. We can want our ministries, our church, to succeed and others to fall to the wayside. Now, we may not say that, but sometimes our emotions can betray us. As I was thinking about this, I was kind of challenged. I was thinking, what if this whole situation going on in the world now, what if it leads to explosive growth in, say, I don't know, the Presbyterian church or evangelical free church? What if it's a church down the road that is the one that grows huge after and daring this time? Would we still rejoice? Would we still praise God? What if there's some pastor or speaker we don't really like, but they find great success in this season? How would we respond then? I know for myself, I used to really criticize people who I had slight disagreements with, but I'm really less inclined to do that, both as I get older, but also because in a season like this, does it really matter? There are methods of sharing the gospel I don't think are best or are not something I would do, but the message is much more important. Truth is important. We have to be clear about who Christ is. We don't want to say he's someone else, that he wasn't God's son, that he's not fully God and fully man, that he wants to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. We want to be clear about who Christ is and what the gospel is. But we can proclaim truth without tearing down someone we have a small disagreement with. That's what Paul is doing here. He's promoting an attitude of charity and grace. He's setting an example later in the book of Philippians. He'll talk about two women in the church who are having an argument, and he'll say, you need to settle your differences. Because Paul knew he was in prison to defend the gospel. That's what he says in verse 16, knowing I am put here for the defense of the gospel. This was God's purpose for him. Again, that verse 7 we looked about earlier, Paul says that you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation. But here we're looking at the defense of the gospel. Paul is defending the good news. He is representing God and his truth. This is what 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 are all about. There, Peter the apostle writes, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Paul was making a defense of the gospel to those who came to him asking questions to his guard, to anyone who said, you're in prison, you must be doing something wrong. He said, no, I am defending the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Even as those critics were around who disagreed with Paul, they wanted to irritate him. They preached from selfish ambition and insincerity, insecurity. They wanted to afflict Paul. He says in 17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me, to make me suffer in my imprisonment, in my chains. And so Paul writes against this attitude in chapter 2 of this book. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. When he gets to that in chapter 2, he's already modeled it in the passage that we're looking at today. He's modeled not to be selfish and to count others more significant. Paul doesn't specifically identify how he disagrees with these people. There's an immense amount of grace in his silence. Paul is a man who was bold. He said what he thought. He must have disagreed very strongly about something, but in this moment, he realizes that's not the most important thing to write about. And he was hurt by their actions. He's saying they're meaning to afflict him. They want him to suffer, but he did not let it dampen his joy. In any church body, there will be division because we are still sinners being saved by grace. We've been saved, but we're still, God is doing a work in us. And when there's division, we have to decide how we will respond. Unity in a church has to deal with imperfections. Here's Paul's talking about believers who struggled to like each other, but they preached the same Christ. Even though these people he's talking about shared Christ from bad motives, they did not honor God, yet people were still coming to know the Lord. It kind of reminds me of fallen ministry leaders. Even if someone's life fails, their message, the truth of God's word, remains the same. The messenger may fail, but the message remains true. And this is reminding us that even when we're sharing, we're not really in the picture. It really doesn't matter who we are or what we're like or how or why we share. If God's word is going out, it does not return void. The book of Isaiah puts it this way, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall my word, God says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When we'd have classes talking about evangelism, we'd remind those of you who were there that you're not responsible to save someone. You're not responsible to convince someone. God has us here, though. We are responsible to share truth with others. God is the one who does the saving. He's the one whose word penetrates, gets into their heart, fills their whole body. Like how a disease spreads, but this contagious message only brings eternal good. That's why Paul's conclusion here is that Christ is proclaimed. And so I will rejoice. As it says in 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. He's just been talking about how he has enemies outside the church. He has people who don't like him within the church, but he still 
rejoiced. The kind of end of verse 18 is kind of a transition to the next section. The verse break probably isn't the best there, but it still emphasizes Paul's joy. He is obsessed with talking about how joyful he is that Christ's word is being shared. Because whether it's from pretense and false motives or whether from genuine truth, the message of Jesus Christ is being preached. And where the substance of true Christianity is proclaimed, well, then we can rejoice. Because in all things, God is directing them for His glory. God directs all things for Christ's glory. One scholar, Sean McDonough, said his joy, Paul's joy in difficult circumstances, is meant to be an example to the Philippians, to likewise rejoice even in difficult times. Church, does this does this situation make you sad? Does it depress you? Does it have a tendency to wear you down? Do you want joy? Well, if you do not know Jesus Christ, that is where you can find joy, in knowing Him and having a relationship with Him. Ask someone about that. Reach out to me or reach out to someone else that you know about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you. And He's calling through His Word, through this time, for you to know Him as well. But if you're a believer, that doesn't mean that that's just because you know Jesus, you're never sad, you're never bothered. If you're worried, if you're bothered, if you're upset by this time, if you want more joy in this time, well, why don't we take a page from the Apostle Paul? And why don't we get that joy by sharing the unstoppable good news. But how do we do that? How in the world can we proclaim Christ at a time like this? Back in the day, people went around knocking on doors. We obviously can't do that now. Well, the truth is that many of you are already doing it. You're finding unique ways to share about God and His truth. I heard from a church member this week who was waiting outside a grocery store for it to open when there were about 20 people there and This member asked if they could all pray together during this time. This time in in history, I don't think there will be many people who will refuse prayer. Another person said that they were able to have a conversation with one of their neighbors, someone they hadn't talked to in years, and they were able to share about how God was blessing them. I know that some in the church have been handing out the cards that we emailed out a few weeks ago about ways that you're willing to help or things you're willing to get for people who need it. And one person was telling me that they'd heard from multiple of their neighbors, some just saying, thank you for handing this out. Others saying, as things go on, I will need help. Thank you for offering. Those are the beginning of conversations that can lead to sharing about the good news. I know some members made cookies for medical workers. Some made Sweets for other people in the church who may not be able to get out. Some have said they've seen people praying in public. Those are just a few things of ways people are sharing this unstoppable good news. The situation isn't slowing it down. If anything, it will accelerate it. People are more willing to hear, more willing to seek hope, to have comfort during this time. As a church, we'll look for more opportunities to share in the future. If you're not signed up for the church emails, I In those, I typically put a couple resources or things that may be helpful for you, ways to share and engage with others. And we'll look for more ways we can do this as time goes on. Brothers and sisters, we can do more together 
even when we're physically apart. Together, we can share about Jesus. My friends, members of Eshore, will you share the unstoppable good news? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for how clearly Paul was focused on you. Clearly, he believed that you must increase even though he must decrease. He didn't share about his circumstance. He focused on you. And I pray that in that, we may learn to share your unstoppable good news. Have confidence that your word will accomplish its purpose and go forth. Have faith that you are in control. May the courage of others inspire us to share. And may we rejoice as you, Jesus Christ, are proclaimed. Thank you, Lord, for always being faithful, always sharing, always growing your people in every circumstance. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.